Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorer News with another edition of the Vitality Explorer News podcast. This week we're going to talk about a few things, but we always like to start off with a quote, and this one is from Alexander Fleming, of course, the inventor of penicillin, and here is his quote. Quote, penicillin cures but wine makes people happy. Penicillin cures, but wine makes people happy. Now we're going to talk about that quote in the context of three specific topics uh, this week, including number one, health benefits of wine, red wine specifically. Number two, how exercising relentlessly can combat depression, disease, and death. And the final one is to answer this question of what is your Elon Musk Mars shot? So again, uh, Vitality Explorer News and this podcast function to helpfully take the friction out of staying vital and help you make deposits into your Vitality bank account. There's a couple announcements. Number one is I will be teaching my Stanford Continuing Studies course again this spring. It starts on April 12th, goes through May uh, May 3rd. It's every Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. It is online and open to anyone. We will also have a special session uh, in person at Stanford. And of course, my new book, Dare to be Vital, is out and on Amazon. So check that out when you get a chance. Uh, you can also sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for a text message version of these uh, inform- this, this information we're going to talk about or sign up on Vitality Explorers at Substack to read all the articles. So let's jump right into health benefits of red wine, all right? Now, uh, this is in the context of an article we're going to talk about, but let's just kind of briefly review some of the p- uh, potential benefits, and that includes improving your cardiovascular health, cancer prevention and treatment, changing your gut microbiome, diabetes prevention and treatment. Okay, now these results are from, or these findings are from both in vitro, which means preclinical studies, or in vivo, or human studies. And, and, this, and the name of the article we're going to review is called the beneficial effects of red wine polyphenols on human health a comprehensive review okay i think we have to start a little bit about the history of wine which is quite interesting so wine has been consumed by humans for more than seven thousand years and it's a very widely obviously consumed beverage but it's complex that contains over 500 compounds we also have to talk about wine in the context of other forms of alcohol. So a, a standard pour, maybe a, you have a place where you get better than a standard pour, but a standard pour of wine, glass of wine, I should say, is about five ounces and is about 12% alcohol. So a, a, for instance, a can of beer is about 5% alcohol, malt liquor is about 7% alcohol, and then say a shot of whiskey, gin, rum, vodka, tequila are about 40% alcohol. Okay, so the equivalency is 12 ounces of beer, eight or nine ounces of malt liquor, five ounces of red wine or or white wine, and then 1.5 ounces of a shot of something. Okay, so I realize there's a lot of controversy over whether consumption of alcohol, any alcohol, is good for you. So we're also going to review or try to be balanced here. We're going to review another article at the end of this post that suggests even small amounts of alcohol may be detrimental to our brains. 
the, the important thing to, to take into account, however, is not all forms of alcohol are the same. Okay, so this post will primarily, or this discussion right now, and you can again read all the re references and look at the graphics on the Vitality Explorer Substack site, um, is going to focus, the beginning of this is going to focus on red wine and something called polyphenols. All right, so let's, let's take a little pause, a little science class for a second here. Polyphenols are organic compounds that come from plants and they've been shown to have a lot of health benefits. So here's a quote from the paper, quote, polyphenols possess many biologic properties such as anti-inflammatory responses, antiviral, cardio, or excuse me, or carcinostatic, that means to kind of control cancer, carcinostatic properties, prevention of um, low density, uh, lipoprotein oxidation, which is something to do with your cholesterol, hyper antihypertensive effects, antimicrobial effects, and anti-aging properties. So, quote, berries, red wine, whole grains, citrus, and green tea are examples of foods rich in polyphenol, and a diet rich in these ingredients is highly recommended due to their positive impact on health. So, I, of course, had to take organic chemistry when I was an undergrad, <clears throat> and um, so I, I did not love that. I had to take a couple semesters of that in organic chemistry lab, uh, or some mishaps might have happened with various uh, chemical reactions. But polyphenols are fancy-looking chemical structures. Again, you can see some pictures of these on the Substack site. Um, but they are the most widely known ones in red wine are resveratrol and tannins. Okay, so these polyphenols function. One of, the th one of their functions is a natural preservative, uh, and they can affect the taste of the wine. And there are significant differences amount of these polyphenols, which are what, what we believe are responsible for the, the positive effects. And there's a lot of difference between, say, red wine and white wine. So red wine has about 200 milligrams, and white wine has 30 milligrams, okay? That's a massive difference, obviously. And then how this polyphenol content is measured or, or gets into the red wine is ridiculously complex. Now, I, I do enjoy red wine. That's a disclaimer, okay? Um, but I was staggered by trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's the amount of polyphenol in different types of red wine? But the idea is very difficult to d discern because there's so many different factors that relate to the amount of polyphenols in a particular glass of red or white wine. Environmental factors such as soil, climate, exposure to fungal infections, the grape varietal, the fermenting and aging process, and also some technical pr um, practices of how they make the wines, so or cold stabilization, centrifugation, filtration, and something called ionic exchange. So the idea, however, is to say, okay, if you looked at all the world's literature and this paper was published in early 2023, um, <clears throat> what are some of the positive effects on various um, issues that we can face? And I'm just going to go through these and quote some, some of the quotes from the paper. So for cancer, po quote, polyphenols are considered constituents in food and beverages responsible for reducing the risk of cancer. They are proven to be protective for cell cultures and in animals, pre-treated pre with carcinogenic chemicals or even cancer cells. So I guess that particular thing for cancer, preclinical. This is the next, next uh, category, cardiovascular health. That's like your heart, your blood pressure. And so, quote, moderate consumption of red wine in the adult population is suggested to have a positive effect on many risk factors and inflammatory biomarkers. Okay? So that's in humans. Diabetes. Quote, these results show a positive effect of red wine polyphenols against metabolic syndrome and support the use of polyphenols in the treatment 
for diabetic patients, okay? So if the cancer preclinical cardiovascular and diabetes shows that there's some effect, your gut microbiome, which is all the bacteria in your gut, quote, it has been found that dietary polyphenols increase the number of beneficial bacteria as well as antimicrobial actions against pathologic bacteria. So looks like red wine's good for your gut. Here's the controversial one, your brain health. So in, in rats, this is not in humans, we're going to talk about another study in humans, but in rats, uh, quote, supplemented with resveratrol, which is one of those poly- polyphenols, and then induced uh, cerebral injury, a decrease in oxidation biomarkers and reestablishment of certain antioxidant activity was due to the resveratrol. So maybe, okay, so that's, that's not in humans, that's in rats. And finally, red blood cells, and quote, a group of post Heart attack patients were included in a two-week study receiving red wine, 250 milliliters per day, or water. The results showed that moderate red wine consumption, even for a short period, had a positive effect on blood parameters such as increased erythrocyte membrane fluidity and antioxidant status, quote, unquote. Okay, so, um, you know, it looks like from the review, okay, and this is a pretty comprehensive review, that there are some positive effects. The the opposite side of this is this different paper, and this is associations between alcohol consumption and gray and white matter in volumes in the United Kingdom Biobank, okay? So this was a pretty big study, and this paper found that even moderate consumption, that's one to two drinks per day, could negatively affect our brain structure. This was over 36,000 people. The, pa- the paper, however, did not distinguish between many types of alcohol. So they were just lumped everything together, like hard cider, hard alcohol, wine, beer, everything, okay? And alcohol consumption in the study was also self-reported for one year prior to participation. And then and these were in people who were 40 to 69 years old. So these were not in younger people. These were in middle-aged people. Uh, and, and this study has been used by a lot of people to demonize the consumption of any alcohol, okay? Even the authors had to admit in the paper, quote, our study relies on a cross-sectional design which does not allow for the identification of causal effects. So they are, even the authors of the study in this, in this paper that has been widely utilized to say you should never have a drink of alcohol, uh, admit that it's not directly causing it. And again, they had a lot of design issues in my, in my opinion about whether or not this is something that can be applied to everybody. It was only people from the United Kingdom. It was only people 40 to 69. Um, and according to the paper, quote, it is reasonable to expect the relationship we observe would differ in younger individuals who have not experienced the chronic effects of alcohol on the brain. All right. So I think if you take these two together, this is what I call the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendations. I think consumption of small amounts of red wine appear to have meaningful health benefits. Drinking, obviously, drinking excessively is clearly bad for you. There's lots and lots of data on that. Um, drinking small amounts of alcohol may be related to, but not cause, brain structure de- de- degeneration in middle-aged people from the United Kingdom. Um, and I think, I think we need some better understanding of how alcohol affects our, our overall uh, well-being, our overall vitality, in short, medium, and especially long-term. But there's something that's ignored here. And that, and that is, okay, you can get these sort of anti-inflammatory polyphenols from other things such as berries, olive oil, and green tea all of which are good for you and encourage consumption of that. But what's ignored about alcohol 
and again, I know this might be controversial and it, this is only in moderation, is the social benefit of that. So if you go out to the bar or, or have a drink or two with a friend and you're having a deep conversation and a meaningful conversation and enhancing your social vitality, is that, does that mitigate whatever the negative effects of, of uh, alcohol? I tried to find some of this in the literature. I couldn't find anything. So I, I, I'm, I'm interested in this. Uh, I encourage people to post their comments on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. Uh, and uh, if you find any information or data about this, please post it or, 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 or contact me with that. So we're going to move on now to exercising relentlessly to combat depression, disease, and death. Now, this is something I think is just so important for our vitality. Um, and this is a recommendation we've made many times on the Vitality Explorer News podcast. Um, but I think we're going to just go over three specific papers uh, that you know contribute to the exploding amount of data that support exercise as a way to enhance our health and longevity. Okay, we're going to start with something crucial, and that is anxiety and depression. And the reason for that is that there are... Two, these are two massive worldwide problems that have just gone off the charts, especially in COVID and post-COVID. And here's some conclusions from this paper, which we're going to talk about. And the name of the paper is Effectiveness of Physical Activity Interventions for Improving Depression, Anxiety, and Distress, an Overview of Systematic Reviews. So this is a review of reviews. And here's the quote. <clears throat> and I'm going to go slow. Physical activity is highly beneficial for improving symptoms of depression, anxiety, and distress across a wide range of adult populations, including the general population, people already diagnosed with mental health disorders, and people with chronic disease. And quote, physical activity should be a mainstay in the management of depression, anxiety, and psychological distress. So this paper was huge, okay? 97, it reviewed 97 systematic reviews, over 1,000 randomized controlled trials, and involved more than 125,000 participants. So those conclusions I just read to you can be considered rock solid. This is not in um, debate right now. And I think this is elite evidence to support the recommendation that exercise should be used to combat the mental health epidemic we're facing. Okay, The paper also reported physical activity um, had similar effects to psychotherapy and drugs for patients with anxiety, depression, or psychological distress. And I think we need to kind of pause for a second. So how often have we heard, you know, we, we know exercise is good for your cardiovascular health. It's good for your brain. It's obviously good for your musculoskeletal system. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second here. But it is clearly, definitively, as far as we know right now, a very, very valuable thing for our mental health. So I think we should act upon this. I am already implementing a variety of programs with a variety of different um, people about how to best do this. Uh, I think we need to, to work on that. And I'd love to hear people's ideas about how we can optimize this. And we're going to talk about this in the context of the second paper. And the second paper is the musculoskeletal exercise, its role in promoting health and longevity. Uh, and this is just, again, it's it does a lot of good for you, right? There's a graphic up on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site. Uh, it obviously increases your muscle mass. It helps you reduce body fat. It helps your bone density, reduces your risk of uh, cardiovascular disease. And it obviously improves your mental wellness, which we talked about, but it can improve your cognitive effect, uh, 
function and decrease joint pain. The cool thing that they went over in one of these is the MRI scans of leg muscles. Okay, now I'm a little, obviously I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, but I found this particular one super, super fascinating. Um, so here it is, MRI scans of a 40-year-old triathlete, okay, a 74-year-old sedentary man and a 70-year-old triathlete, all right? And what the cool thing is, is the 40-year-old triathlete obviously had some really good muscle mass. The 74-year-old sedentary man had a lot of the muscle in in his legs replaced with fat, but the I'm sorry, the 74-year-old man who was sedentary had a lot of fat replacing his muscle by MRI. But the 70-year-old triathlete, there's probably not a lot of them out there, but 70-year-old triathlete had similar muscle mass to the 40-year-old. There's also other data about people who've had muscle biopsies in 40- or 70-ish-year-old people and people who are lifelong, relentless exercisers have muscle that is similar in their 70s to people who are in their 40s. That's, that's staggering, okay? I think it's so, so important that we try to maintain our muscle mass, and I call this relentlessly exercising. All right, the final one we're going to talk about in the context of exercise is this paper called Non-Occupational Physical Activity and Risk of Cardiovascular Disease, Cancer, and Mortality, a Dose-Response Meta-Analysis of Large Prospective Studies. So here's the quote, here's the primary conclusion from that paper. Quote, our findings suggest an appreciably lower risk of mortality, cardiovascular diseases, and cancer from the equivalent of 75 minutes per week of less or of or less of moderate intensity aerobic physical activity okay that's about half of the recommended uh, minimum levels and they have a cool chart just basically are you going to die or are you not going to die if you get 75 minutes per week okay think about that that's about 10 and a half minutes a day right just call it 10 minutes a day or 11 minutes a day you can decrease your risk of dying decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease or cancer so this is again more data i kind of beating people up here today but this is all peer-reviewed published elite data that's been uh, that, that that has been published this year that shows that lifelong intensive or lifelong consistent exercise helps preserve our muscle mass decreases our risk of mental and physical disorders and so I think the issue is not that, the, that there's not enough data. I think the data is overwhelming. Um, but the idea is, how can we get people to do this? How can we all do as much as we possibly can? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm in the process of what I call operationalizing this right now. And, and one of the suggestions I have is to put aside that 11 minutes per day. Just you know, take that out of your day to begin with and, and make that one of your first primary priorities so that, you know, you can you can get it done. That can just be taking a walk. That could be just doing some gentle band exercises or riding a bike or taking a little hike. Whatever it is, just moving. Uh, well, you're, because literally your, your physical and mental and life depend upon it. Okay, enough of my beating everybody up with exercise. Talked a little bit about red wine. You can, again, find, <clears throat> find more about this on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. You can sign up for my Stanford Vitality class, which is coming up uh, in May uh, and April of this year, excuse me, April and May through Stanford Continuing Studies. You can just type my name there. You can go to daretobevital.com and there's a link to it. And of course, my new book, Dare to Be Vital, is out uh, and available on Amazon. So check that out. Um, so finally, the final thing we're going to talk about is something that woke me up in the middle of the night, and that is 
what is your Elon Musk Mars shot? All right, so uh, you know, disclaimer here again, I'm a little bit of a space geek. I think it's very cool what has been done by SpaceX. They put up uh, another rocket this week, uh, and then and then uh, they sent four astronauts to the International Space Station. These astronauts included one cosmonaut from Russia and the first uh, space traveler from the United Arab Emirates. So that's pretty interesting, right? So what's going on in our world today? I mean, Russia and the United States are indirectly battling each other in Ukraine. The Middle East is a tinderbox, as it has been for a long time, that could potentially explode. And somehow, some way, we put together this diverse international crew and blast them up into space to do some serious scientific work. So maybe, just maybe, the way to world peace is to is to go to space. So I think this is a beacon of optimism that isn't often talked about uh, for our, our humankind, that we can do something like this in the middle of a hurricane of conflict. All right, so I want to go into a little bit of the, the history of SpaceX because I think it provides us a story of what we could do. What could our peak purpose, what could our Mars shot be? So I'll just go through a little bit of this. So the Falcon 9 rocket that carried the crew has flown into orbit more than 200 times and its reusable booster shot has successfully landed 101 straight times. So it's now become sort of just routine um, for for SpaceX to blast people into space and then to to return this rocket. Uh, But it was founded more than 20 years ago and still has the same primary purpose. SpaceX was originally founded to get to Mars and back. So this is what I call your Mars shot. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be going to Mars. I'm not going to be trying to build a rocket. But what woke me up in the middle of the night a few days ago is like, what could be my Mars shot? And I want people to pause for a second. Just pause. Think about it. What could your Mars shot be? What are you willing to work toward for many years or potentially several decades and by the way, what are you willing to suffer for along the way and to keep pushing forward? What are you, and who are you willing to ask to join you on this journey? And then most importantly, how are you going to get it done? So think about those, okay? I'm going to continue on the history of SpaceX for a second. And you can look at the references. I, I read several articles and lots of stuff on the SpaceX site. Um, but here's, what they, here's, here's really kind of how they did it. The first part was to have a plan. And the plan started by trying to you know, figure out how we're going to build this rocket. Uh, they came up with this idea that they're going to have to do orbital refueling uh, and a timeline to get there by the end of this decade. So it's 2023. So within the next six or seven years, they want to put a rocket on Mars okay, with humans. So the SpaceX team knows that's incredibly demanding, incredibly challenging, but they outlined a lot of the details and they're in the process of, of developing the tech to get there. And so they sort of have this SpaceX Starship, that's what they call it, their big rocket, Starship timeline, all right, going from 2019 all the way to 2029. And then they have the sort of a cool little, you know, graphic of how they're going to get there. I'm going to again, encourage you to, to to look on the Vitality Explorer Substack site to learn more about it. So the second part of their plan was to build this badass rocket, okay? And the rocket, again, is called the Starship. Um, It hasn't been in orbit yet, but they're close to it. Uh, They've developed a lot of these less powerful but very functional rockets like the Falcon 9. So think about it. As you're thinking about what your Mars shot could be, you can't just make that quantum leap all the way up to saying, okay, I'm going to go to Mars. What are the steps beforehand? 
So, um, and you know, there's this article that's out there, Elon Musk, big boy rocket, the most powerful ever to build is nearly ready to fly. It's got a very cool profile. The, the third part, okay. The third part is to expect failure. All right. And this is one that I didn't really think about until I started really diving into it. But when you're going along this journey to try to get to Mars and whatever your Mars shot could be, you know, it could be just something as crazy as like curing cancer or something like solving, you know, like we talked about world peace, or maybe it's just even taking care of um, a, a family member who has a severe illness or, or, or a child who has a big problem. Whatever your Mars shot is, we have to understand that there's going to be failure along the way. Okay, and Musk admits this. He calls his because a lot of his rockets, especially early on, exploded. Okay, and he calls rocket explosions rapid unscheduled disassembly. Rapid unscheduled disassembly, also known as a rud. So as we're trying to do whatever we're trying to do, we're going to have to expect some ruds, some rapid unscheduled disassemblies uh, uh, along the way. Okay, and that is built into the plant. All right, they expect to failure. So he calls, you know, rockets are very, very difficult to build and very, very challenging to make, make important. Okay, so I hope that helps a little bit. One of the key components of just starting to go to Mars that is a barrier, it's a huge barrier, is inertia. Okay, and inertia um, is, is not just for Elon Musk and trying to put a rocket up into space, but it's also for all of us who are trying to do anything with our lives because inertia is a default mode. It's, we, we, we just don't, inertia basically means to stay the same or, or to do nothing. You know, it's the tendency to remain unchanged or do nothing. And that again is our default mode. So we don't want, or we fail to take a chance. We fail to launch and we fail to realize that, you know, failure is part of success. Okay. So SpaceX rockets, much like whatever we would want to do with our, our Mars shots have to also um, reach escape velocity. And so that's the lowest velocity a body needs to have in order to escape gravitational attraction of a planet or whatever object, you know, the moon, Mars. And so escape velocity for our moon shots is having enough fuel energy uh, to get into orbit. Okay. And I think it's a combination of effort, time, and money. And so when I was thinking about Vitality Explorers and trying to come up with what, what am I doing, how am I doing it, I'm just going to share with you my moonshot or my Mars shot is to, again, enhance global vitality one person at a time. So I work on my plan for this and I'm trying to work on developing partnerships and technology to help my plan succeed. I do not like failure. Let me say that again. I do not like failure, but it continues to ride along with me on my journey into what I call the vitality zone. So if you think that anybody who's successful hasn't hasn't had failure as a partner along the way, I, I, I want to meet that person. So again, pause for a little time today. Think about what your Mars shot could be and focus on this simple mantra. We've talked about this before. Think, write, do. Think about it. Thinking about it is not enough. If you start to write it down, it's going to clarify your thoughts and then just do it. Overcome inertia, right? Overcome inertia. Take a first fierce step towards your Mars shot goal. Okay. So I'd encourage you to share your comments about that on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. Um, I think today we have learned a little bit about how red wine has some health benefits 
exercising relentlessly helps combat depression, disease, and death, and a little bit about what our Mars shots could be. Again, you can find more information on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site along with all the references. You can sign up for the Vitality Explorer News um, text message at vitalityexplorers.com. I encourage you to consider joining my eighth uh, Stanford Continuing Studies Energize Your Life course, and that's going to start on April 12th and go through May 3rd, uh, every single Wednesday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. You can find more information on Stanford Continuing Studies uh, site. Just type in my name, uh, Alan Mishra, or you can go to daretobevital.com for a uh, link to that. And please, if you're interested, check out my new new book, Dare to Be Vital on Amazon. So thank you again for listening to the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. This is something I absolutely love to do. I hope it has uh, helped push forward my mission of enhancing global vitality one person at a time. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital.